Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the QB Squared Podcast. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023, and as always, I'm your co-host, Dylan Hale, joined by Chad Martini. And we're sorry it's been a while. We were on a short week last week on a, a Friday game schedule, so we, we missed you last week, but now we are coming back at you with a new episode. Want to really get back into our weekly swing here, especially as the NFL season picks up. So we are so excited to be back. Chad, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, Friday the 13th, a little weird vibe, but I think we have a great show lined up for today. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, Friday the 13th, and I'll tell you, nothing was as scary for this league as Brees Hall without limits on how many carries he's going to get per game Mm. as seen against Denver. I mean, he was without limits, and he exhibited limitless potential. Ran the ball, finally didn't have a cap on his production. 22 carries, 177 yards, and a touchdown. He thought he could have scored three touchdowns. He had a 72-yard touchdown. I mean, he was really the Brees we knew him to be. Um, Yeah, obviously playing in that stadium meant a lot to him. That's where he got hurt last year. But unfortunately, the New York Jets lost Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, arguably their best offensive lineman for the season. Absolutely heartbreaking. He's joining the Achilles recovery program. Um, But let's, let's look at the positive side here. Brees Hall was incredible. The Jets' defense was outstanding. And they beat the Denver Broncos, who we know who had been talking talking smack about us for a while. Um, 31-21 to on the road. Good to get back in the win column. 31-21. to Nice deficit there. Chad, what do you think about that game? Yeah, uh, I want to give a shout-out to both of the uh, BHs on our team. Brees Hall, obviously, huge game. But Bryce Hoff is really starting to make a name for himself. I mean... Jets fans have always seen it for a while now. He hasn't gotten on the field that much, but it's just because how deep the defensive line group is. But Bryce Huff has 26 QB pressures so far this year. He has basically a pressure on one out of every three of his uh, pass rush sets he has. He is just unstoppable. He, had, he made, I think, such an underrated play, underrated sack he had on Russell Wilson, where he completely toasted the offensive tackle around the edge. And when Russell Wilson tried to step up and evade the pocket, it's like he did a 180 and tackled him without him even seeing him. He's just so special. Uh, I've always loved watching this Jets defense play. I don't like watching the Jets play um, in Colorado anymore because it just seems like someone gets hurt every game now. We even had a little sauce scare, which almost brought tears to my eyes, but thankfully he was okay. But I don't want to see the Jets ever play in Denver again, but... Watching that defense play is just so fun. And if you look at Zach Wilson, I really thought he I thought he played such a good game. It's not a great game. It's not a perfect game. But it's not a terrible game. He did what was asked for them. They didn't need to ask too much out of him because Brees Hall was making men miss on every run he had. But until that last throw, I thought he really played a complete game for the Jets. Obviously, you would like to see a little t- uh, maybe a touchdown or two. I think he missed Conklin in the end zone yeah. on the uh, first drive or their first red zone drive, but he definitely made some really great plays. I think you look at the stick and nod um, out of all of them on a a big third down conversion on the last drive of the game where he starts to the left looking and goes fully through his progression, which is something you didn't see from Zach Wilson last year. Even the Patriots game or before the Chiefs week, it, it just shows that he really is improving. He really is getting more comfortable, and his pocket presence is really growing because you look at Zach Wilson last year, like I said, you look at him even in the Patriots game. It's his first read. It's not there. He's rolling out or avoiding or just throwing the ball up for grabs, which was so hard to watch as a Jets fan. So seeing him go from the left side of the field, looking at Garrett Wilson, which you love to see as the first read, 
noticing that he's not there and coming all the way back across the field to Tyler Conklin, it's just it's a great thing to see. And I thought the Jets' O line looked good enough. Uh, it it was a positive. It was a great day for the Jets uh, overall. It was great seeing um seeing the thing that Salah said at the end. Um, he kind of BS it. Said he wasn't really talking smack to um Coach Payton, but. I think it definitely was. It was really just a feel-good win for the whole Jets team, especially the Jets coaching staff. Yeah, and Rodgers loved seeing that as well. I saw him tweet about it. But, yeah, let's talk about Zach Wilson, what he is. Like, he's – I mean, obviously against the Chiefs, that wasn't a serviceable NFL quarterback. That was a good-to-elite NFL quarterback we saw. Yeah. But, you know, we can't get ahead of ourselves. That was only one night. So we were wondering, how is he going to follow up this performance? I thought what allowed him to, to flourish against the Chiefs was that Hackett said, you know what, we're going to find out what he is. We're going to open up the playbook. We're going to throw on most plays. And that's when he really got to shine. I thought Hackett kind of reeled him in a little bit this week. Didn't have as many passes as he did the week before. Only threw 26 passes and completed 19 of them, which is pretty solid. Um, But, I mean, that's acceptable that he didn't throw as much. Why? Because Brees Hall was without limits, and we saw what he could do. So I think that's acceptable that Zach Wilson didn't throw as much or maybe as as great of a production as he put out against the Chiefs. But you're right. I think he's still solid. He's playing better. But as you mentioned with that Conklin open, uh, I think it was like a a dig or a seam in the end zone that he missed. But I think that's more of a microcosm of a bigger problem, which is that the Jets really were not good at scoring touchdowns in the red zone against Denver. And Denver is known to be a defense that allows a lot of scoring in the red zone. So it ended up being an outstanding performance for Greg Zerline, you know, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week this week. But – we're playing the Denver Broncos, right? As the Jets start playing the Eagles this coming week, which we'll get into in a second, and they start playing Miami and the Bills again and these other elite teams, it's just not going to cut it if you're ending drives with three and not seven. So I think that's a big key moving forward that they need to work on because, look, the defense is there. This is a playoff roster, and if Zach Wilson continues to be a solid, because that's all we need, a solid NFL quarterback, I think the Jets can make the playoffs and start thinking about getting Rodgers back. But you know, it all comes down to one play, one one game at a time, because the Jets can't afford to look ahead, especially with the fact that they're two and three, right? Even a feel good win doesn't hide the fact that they have a losing record and they still need to win games badly. Yeah. And now, looking ahead this week, they come off this high against Denver, and now they're playing arguably the best team in football right now, which is the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. The Jets open at six and a half point underdogs in that game, so obviously. Uh, America doesn't expect much out of them to, in terms of winning the game, but I think the Jets can put up a real fight in this one and potentially come away with a win. So, first of all, on the Eagles side of things, they're looking absolutely unstoppable right now. You know, 5-0. and They've been in some close-ish games, but they never really had a doubt that they were going to lose. Um, obviously, a big piece of that is Jalen Hurts, top MVP candidate last year. Could be as well this year. I think the Jets, one key for them defensively will just be stopping the run. You know, the Eagles are just so efficient at running the ball, and especially once they get ahead, they're so hard to come back from because they will just run the ball, bleed clock, get first downs, and push it down and score. And as we know, it'll end with that brotherly shove, as they call it, which is that unstoppable QB sneak play where everybody gets behind Hurts and shoves them and gets the first down or touchdown. So the Jets are going to look to stop that. I thought an interesting quote from Rob Sala this week on how he plans to stop the brotherly shove. He said, we're going to do our best to try and stop it. They do a lot of stuff off it too, have reverses, pop passes, stretch plays, we got to be disciplined. But if that QB carries the ball, we got to give him 11 kisses. Um, so what, what Sal is saying there, obviously, is that they're going to have to punish Philly, as a lot of the league wants to see, for running that QB sneak. And if they can get some hits on Jalen Hurts, 
give it to them, you know? Make them fear running that again because it's been virtually unstoppable. So the Jets will have to figure out how to stop that play, um, stop the run, and then stop guys like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. So as you can hear me describing it, it's an absolutely tall task for the Jets. It's good that they're at home, but I think Brees Hall is going to have to really have another heroic game against a really tough front seven. Talk about Hall of Fame guys all over the place. Um, and then Zach Wilson's going to have to be, I think, a little better than solid this week. He's going to have to have a good week in order for the Jets to to win this game. But I think it's doable. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a battle of the trenches. I mean, the Eagles have the best offensive line in the league, without a doubt. So they're definitely going to mitigate how strong and powerful and destructive the Jets' defensive line has been. And looking at the Eagles' defensive line against a Jets' offensive line who doesn't really have a true identity right now, just lost their best offensive lineman, going to have – Probably Max Mitchell step up and take that role. Um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough game for Zach Wilson, but I, d- I definitely do think that there's flaws in the Eagles defense. You look at the Eagles defense in the games they've played. I, you see they have such a strong first half, especially in the first two games. They've had such a great first half, and then they kind of fell apart in the second half. They still were able to pull out wins. I mean, they're obviously five and zero right now, but it is a flawed defense. So I'm gonna like to see how Hackett game plans against it. But it, it's going to be a tough game. I'm really excited to see the um, receiver versus cornerback matchup with Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown versus D.J. Reed and uh, Sauce Gardner. A.J. Brown has uh, woken up the past three weeks. He's averaging the most receiving yards per game out of any receiver in the NFL in the past three weeks. He's just been dominant. I'd like to see if – I'm guessing that the Jets are still going to play right-left field boundary. or. But I would really like to see Sauce shadow A.J. Brown. I think Sauce's size would be good against A.J. Brown. D.J. Reed is such a great cornerback, but he's a little bit smaller on the smaller side. I mean, Sauce is just a lengthy cornerback, super tall, long arms. So I would like to see him shadow him, but, I mean, doesn't seem like that's the Jets' type of way to go. But it's, it's just going to be – it'll be a good game. It's probably going to be a disappointing one, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think the Jets are going to be able to pull this out. Everyone would like to see him go 3-3 three and three into the bye week. I think 3-3 three and three came with a win against the Patriots. That The mm-hmm. loss never should have came, but I think it's going to be a tough game. I hope Zach Wilson could show something. I just don't know how much he'll be able to show. And the Jets' offense is going to be fully dependent on the run game. If they're able to find a run game, I think it will open up the passing game and we'll see a close game. But if not, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a similar game to how it was when we played the Cowboys. Yeah, and talk about a team that has the Jets' number, as we mentioned with the Patriots few, a weeks, few weeks ago. The Eagles are currently undefeated against the Jets. They're 12-0 all time. The Jets just absolutely have no answer for that team. So it would be great to see them win this game. Um, like like we, you mentioned, though, uh, low expectations, definitely underdogs here. But 3-3 three and three going into the break after the schedule they've had behind them would be, I think, a miracle almost. Playing Bills, Dallas, Chiefs, and Philly, and then a Patriots team that you never really beat. Um, so I, I doubt that they will go with three and three, but if they do, I mean, that's got to be a huge win in the locker room, especially with what's happened and the adversity they face from here on out. Cause later in the season, the schedule does get easier for the jets, you know, games against the Falcons, the Texans, the commanders, Cleveland, you know, the, the, there's very, and the giants, there's very winnable games in that stretch that, that can help them push towards a playoff, a playoff run. So we'll yeah. see what happens after that. And I think the jets know they knew what they were getting into with how hard this schedule was going to be. Yeah. So, if they could pull out a win, it would be great, but they do still have some, some margin for error with, with their easy schedule after the, uh, after the bye week. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously be keyed into that game, come back and reflect on it, break it down next week. But we can't sit here and act like there aren't 31 other teams in the NFL, and it's been such an exciting start to the season. 
Um, really just some great storylines to break down. We'll uh, take turns here kind of talking about a storyline that stood out to us. We'll analyze it and move on here so we can cover different parts of the NFL. What's jumped out to me as a fan of quarterbacks, and I love always watching rookie quarterbacks and seeing how guys mesh and fit in the systems. Because obviously when you're thrown into the fire in this league, it's become clear that that is not the best route for quarterbacks. When you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes, um, even Tom Brady, who have started their careers behind a guy, right? Start on the bench, getting familiar with the system, uh, having to learn all the receiver speeds and getting adjusted to what do these NFL coverages look like? What do the blitzes, pressures, fronts look like? Uh, sort of seeing the game and on the field, you know, before they get out there is a lot better of a route to take than to be thrown into the fire week one and just having to learn on the fly with bullets flying all around you. I think C.J. Stroud has shown more maturity and success out of a rookie quarterback in his first few games than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest storylines in football right now, even though Houston's only 2-3, and three, which only 2-3, and three, that's like meeting or exceeding expectations for right now. Definitely. And that includes a game that they should have won in Atlanta and been 3-2. and two. I mean, C.J. Stroud threw a clutch touchdown in that one, but then a last-minute drive from Houston won that I mean, from Atlanta won that game. Um, but yeah, C.J. Stroud, NFL record for attempts thrown without an interception. Um, he still has yet to throw an interception, making extremely clutch throws, as I mentioned, and then really just within the game, watching his tape, you know, he's anticipating windows. I mean, that guy's probably worked the Jimmy H drill a few times. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's gone after. He's anticipating windows like rookies. We rarely see rookies do. Getting the ball out on, on time, on target. I mean, he he's even seen some drops as well from his guys that have limited him even more, but... I mean, that connection he's building with Tank Dell, I, like I mentioned almost every week here, is special. Um, Nico, Nico Collins, Collins as well. Yeah, I mean. How about that And Dalton Schultz. So they, they can be a solid football team in a division that's pretty, that's not too great. Obviously, Jacksonville is expected to win it, but Houston's stacking up wins, and C.J. Stroud's been outstanding. And you question now if Carolina starts to have regrets about picking Bryce Young. Obviously, it's very early, and I think Bryce Young is a good quarterback with a lot of potential, but... The maturity C.J. Stroud is showing this early in his career is very, very elite. And I saw a clip actually at, um, I believe it was either Stroud's pro day or his workout with Carolina, where Josh McCown, who obviously just legend at quarterback, mm. now the Panthers QB coach said like, yeah, you'll be looking for a home in Charlotte or something like that. Um, obviously didn't happen. Panthers picked Young at one. And just side by side, their stat lines here. Bryce Young's been struggling. They're 0-5. He has 750 passing yards with five touchdowns and four interceptions. And C.J. Stroud's two and three. Could have been three and two with 1,461 yards. So pretty much double what Young has. Seven touchdowns and zero interceptions. I think C.J. Stroud is looking like, a at this point, a lock for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And just really awesome to see how well he's progressed. Uh, you can either comment on that briefly or go on to your storyline. But I think we just had to give the shout-out to C.J., and what he's doing there in Houston and really giving that franchise, which has been so uh, such a poorly run tire fire of a franchise with the Bill O'Brien era, Deshaun Watson. They really deserve a good franchise quarterback, and I think they have one in C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I mean, just to touch on the Panthers quickly, uh, it's such a tough situation for Bryce Young. Yeah. Hasn't looked his best. Made some throws that you didn't see from him in college make, or not throws, poor decisions. Uh, sorry, but... It's not getting easier. I mean, this week they're without their starting running back, Miles Sanders. They're going into Miami to play the Dolphins, who we all know what the Dolphins could do. I mean, best offense in the league, capable defense. They're going to make it hard for Bryce Young. So, I mean, you're looking at going 
0-6 into the bye week. Mm-hmm. Then you got Texans, Colts, Bears, which you'd hope you'd be able to win one of those, but it's just a tough scene for Bryce Young. You hate to see it. I mean, I think he, I think he'll be a good quarterback in the NFL. His size is a uh, very big worry, very big red flag. It's such a small quarterback. You got to keep him safe. Got to keep him protected. You don't want to see him running around too much. But yeah, I mean, like you said, the stats aren't that pretty for him. 0-5, 750 yards, five touchdowns, four interceptions. And their biggest problem is right now they don't have a true receiver. One, I think Thielen is still a great receiver. He doesn't have the speed to really go make plays. He's a smart receiver. He'll find the open space, but he's not going to beat someone over the top, really. But they also don't have their first-round pick next year. So now it puts them in a tough situation to try and trade for maybe a big-time receiver that could help Bryce Young. And now they also can't go ahead and draft a guaranteed day-one receiver that you know could be a capable receiver one. So mm-hmm. tough situation for Bryce Young. I hope for the best for him. I like seeing all quarterbacks do well. But, yeah, also shout-out to C.J. Stroud. He's been doing this thing. Um, story I want to look at is Jameer Gibbs. Um, if you listen to my previous hierarchy, I think I had the Lions at two. Uh, I'm huge on the Lions. I love the Lions. I love what Campbell's doing there. I think Jared Goff is – Jared Goff is who the Jets want Zach Wilson to be right now. Jared Goff is just doing everything correct, and he's – I wouldn't really say he's extending plays, but he's making plays. He's accurate, and mm. – He's playing confident, and he's putting up great stats. So, I'm a huge fan of the Lions. Their defense has improved much from uh, what it was last year. Aiden Hutchinson is just a beast. I've never seen someone do double spin moves in the NFL game and still manage to make a sack. He had a one-handed interception. I mean, he's a defensive end doing all this. Uh, It's ridiculous. But if you look at Jameer Gibbs, I think it's so interesting, the whole dynamic that's going on there. I remember before the season started, Dan Campbell was being interviewed and he told the press that Jameer Gibbs is going to be a weapon who will, along the lines of this, he'll be a weapon who will shock the league on uh, how that the Lions plan to use him. It's just going to be uncharacteristic. People are going to have no clue what's going on with him. He's just going to be such a weapon to their offense. He went from being that to a quote from this week where Dan Campbell admitted that they knew David Montgomery would be the, the bell horse running back, that he'd be the guy taking all the carries, and that Jameer Gibbs instead was a quote-unquote change-up, who will still get his touches, but it doesn't mean there'll be carries. So I just think that's such an interesting dynamic going on there. you got to remember, the Lions traded back from six. They passed on Jalen Carter, and they essentially traded away who I think is a very similar running back and is showing that he's a great running back right now in DeAndre Swift with the Eagles, and replaced him with Gibbs at 12. So they took Jameer Gibbs at the 12th overall pick. They took him very high. They could have taken Jalen Carter at 6. They traded back. They took Gibbs. I think Swift and Gibbs are basically not the same player. They definitely have some different uh, qualities and characteristics, but such similar players, so elusive. I mean, great in open field, great in space, can catch, can run, get outside. But they pick Jameer Gibbs at 12 and they're not using him and I remember people watched the Chiefs game and were like oh they're just ramping him into things they watched the week two game it's the same thing they watched the game without David Montgomery and he's barely getting the ball and it's like why would you use a 12th pick on him so I, I'm just really curious what the point in uh the point in that uh pick was I, I think there are just much better options they could have taken they could have taken let's say Christian Gonzalez for example put him at cornerback who 
it's hurt, done for the year, but in the games he was playing, just showed he's a lockdown defender. He's going to be a really good cornerback for years to come. Uh, there's just so much confusion with that pick. Luckily, the Lions are still a great team. It's not going to come back to hurt them that much, that pick. I still think Jameer Gibbs will be a great player, but I'm just confused with their usage and confused as to why they'd get rid of Swift. I know I'm watching the Hard Knocks from uh, the year before this year. It seemed like there was a weird dynamic between Swift and um, Deuce Staley, who was the Lions running back coach. Didn't really seem like Deuce Staley liked his running back vision. I mean, it's kind of a similar thing. If you look at the DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams last year, it's very similar to what you see right now with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs and DeAndre Swift are kind of like the Swiss Army Knives, but they weren't being used that much, and they just fell in love with their bell horse running backs, whether that be Jamal Williams or David Montgomery. So I, I want to see Jameer Gibbs do good. I think he's so elusive. I think he could be such a great player. The plays where you do see him in, he's just making people miss, making people look silly, making great cuts. But they're just not using him enough. And I'm really wondering if there's another story behind this or if Dan Campbell just loves a downhill power running back like he did with Jamal Williams and like he does right now with Dave Montgomery. And do you, do you think anything of this? Am I looking into it too much? I did have him on my fantasy team, my free fantasy right. league. Yeah, just uh, tell us uh, tell us why you feel so passionate. Yeah, I did have him in my free fantasy <laughs> league a few weeks ago. I traded him away, but I, I still really liked watching him at Alabama and wanted to see him do really well in the NFL, so I'm still going to root for him. I'm just confused as to what's going on here. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. It's definitely an interesting story. I think it could be a little too soon to you know, write him off and say that they don't really have a full role for him. I honestly think the Lions are probably a little pleasantly surprised with how well Montgomery's been playing. I don't know if they accounted for the fact that he's going to look like a top five back in the well, league. You know, My thing is any running, not any running back, don't get me wrong, but a majority of the NFL running backs could look good behind that offensive line. Let's right. not forget who the offensive line is. The offensive line is dominant. And it's taking nothing away from David Montgomery. I mean, he's getting downhill. He's scoring touchdowns. He's making plays for them. But I don't think – I mean, there's a reason that the Bears didn't keep David Montgomery. There's a reason they moved on from him. So it, it's just right. it's just an interesting situation. Yeah. Um, but the more important thing is just looking at this Lions team, as you mentioned, that they're just – so many strengths, which is so refreshing for that fan base to see. Um, and I think the Lions are legit. I think they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. And I do think they'll find somewhat of a role for Jameer Gibbs. It just, like you, guys like you expected, he's not not that number one back right now. And that's mm-hmm. that's frustrating for a lot of people to see. Fantasy owners, but more importantly for Jameer Gibbs. But I think he'll learn his role. You know, he'll start to develop as a player. And I think someday he'll be their guy. I, I do yeah. I do believe that. I mean, you hope that be the case if you take him that early in the draft. So. I, I, I agree. I think his time will come, but it just people expect it to be so early, and it doesn't seem to be the case at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Meek Mill has a great line in Dreams and Nightmares where he used to pray for times like this. And I think every Jet fan could say with confidence that they have prayed for times like this in terms of what the New England Patriots are doing right now. If I told you, Chad, if I told you, let's say, Five years ago, Brady's still there, still in the center of that dynasty that they built, Bill, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady built. If I told you that this was a headline, that Bob Kraft was open to firing Bill Belichick, firing Bill Belichick, if his struggles continue, what would you you think that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Well, that's a real headline as of within 24 hours ago from now, Bob Kraft talking about potentially firing Bill, Pel- Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick's a guy who we always thought, you know, after what he did, a 20-year dynasty, six Super Bowls with the Patriots, probably 
or I think we all would think the best quarter, sorry, coach in the history of the NFL. Um, we would assume that he is able to walk out on his own terms, you know, have a peaceful retirement right off into the sunlight. Um, the debate was whether or not Tom Brady was a system quarterback because think about that. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, a system quarterback because Bill Belichick's that good of a coach. That was the reputation Bill had. And now is a living nightmare for that ugly old man that we're in October, second week of October, and he's thinking of being fired if the struggles continue. New England's one and four, and it is not it is not sunny in New England right now. It is not rainbows and butterflies. They're now dealing with an uh, immature young quarterback in Mac Jones, who's struggling mightily, gets worse every drive of the game. <laughs> New England is one and four. And I'll say this, we'll call it what it is. Their struggles will continue. They play in Vegas on Sunday, which I think will be a tough game for them. Vegas look good against the Packers. I think that can be a, a game they lose. But even if they win that game, then they have the Bills and the Dolphins back-to-back, divisional foes who I think will both embarrass them. So if if, if New England is 1-7 or 2-6, which I don't even know how I just said that in a sentence, I think it's going to be really tough for Bill Belichick to be able to defend because um, for a few years now they haven't been really good at, since Brady. So I think that argument of system quarterback for Tom Brady, as much as I loved used to say that to my Patriot friends to discredit oh. Brady, I don't think it's true. No, no. I don't think it's the system. But you know what is hurting is the system in place that Bill Belichick is the head coach and the general manager still. I think that's ridiculous. I don't know how he's still that role. I know he, you know, everybody, because he's made it look so good with the dynasty, thinks, yeah, he's a genius He's going to bring in these random guys from the middle of nowhere, Ohio, and they're going to they're, they're gonna come in and they're going to make a role. They're going to end up being an all-pro. But no, let's call it what it is. Bill Belichick has made some extremely questionable decisions, both in free agency, in trades, and the drafts, especially when it comes to skilled players and receivers, because that's not what he's known for, right? Like, even the guys who are Hall of Famers are Julian Edelman, are, you know, like Wes Welker. These aren't high-talented first-round guys, like... They got rid of Jacoby Myers last offseason, which I think was the only, only good receiver they had, and they basically gave Juju his money. Um, Jacoby Myers is an absolute stud right now for Vegas. I think he's going to have a big revenge game on Sunday against them. So that's questionable. Go back three years ago, and they picked Nikhil Harry in the first Ooh. round. Yeah. Nikhil Harry. You know who they missed, who was picked after Nikhil Harry? Tolman. A.J. Brown. Debo Samuel. D.K. Metcalf. Terry McLaurin, and the list goes on from there. Like, you got to start acknowledging these misses from Bill Belichick. You can't just pretend it's all it's all good over there because of what he's done in the past. You have to be able to judge a guy, you know? As, as just because legends do something, that doesn't mean they I get the, the free hall pass for the rest of their lives. You have to be able to criticize them. So I think it's good by Rob Kraft, though he's done a lot of bad in his life on and off the field. Um, it's good by Rob Kraft. To actually take a shot and say, "Look, Bill, it's not all—it's not all easy anymore for you. We're terrible right now, and we're going to have some accountability about it." I think the Patriots are in complete rebuild mode. Puts a smile on my face to see, and I think Bill Belichick is on the hot seat, which I think I would never say in my life, but here I am saying it. Mm. And if he's not on the hot seat, I'll say that he—he he can't go into retirement as comfortably as we all thought he would. Yeah, I think there's almost no storyline like that in the league. Maybe I'm a Jet fan that's been angry and taught to hate these guys my whole childhood, but that's how I feel on this Friday afternoon. Yeah, um, this team's a seven-win team at best. If they could get seven wins, 
Uh, I think realistically they're a four to five win team. Um, yeah, it's it's ugly over there, and thank God I'm not a Patriots fan. I would have liked to be for the first 19 years of my life, maybe, but this has to be tough because you go from the Tom Brady era where you're on top of the world, and now you're at this where you realistically – they realistically could finish the season with three wins, and that wouldn't surprise you. They could get a win over the Jets that they already took, another win over the Giants, and another win over the Jets, and that could be their three wins for all we know. Yeah. This team could be a three-win team. Yeah. They don't have the easiest schedule in the world. They do play the Colts, they do play the Broncos, and they do play the Commanders. I think those are the other three easy teams – not easy teams – Let's not be wrong. I mean, the Commanders are a good team. The Colts, if Anthony Richardson's back by then, are another good team. But, I mean, this team is struggling. I even saw they might put Malik Cunningham in and give him a chance. I don't know how accurate that headline was, but it didn't seem like they were going to close off that idea. From Tom Brady to Malik Cunningham. It's it's tough, man. Um, ooh. Yeah, ooh is right. It's, it's great to see as a Jets fan, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, what... Uh, yeah, I never would have expected that to happen. Yeah. I mean, this it's nice, but it's still shocking to me. So, Chad, tell me what's going on with the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. You know, don't funny you ask. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, I, I, I like my new I like my uh, New Jersey teams. Obviously, I'm a Jets fan. I've mentioned on previous episodes that I do like seeing the Giants do well, and that is not what they're doing right now. Um, you think the Giants are really struggling? Uh, and a lot of fingers are being pointed not only to the offensive line, which deserves to have fingers pointed at, but the QB play from Danny Jones. Um, there's been clear frustration between uh, Dable and Danny Jones. Uh, you've seen them argue on the sideline on their primetime television games because I swear they're on every primetime game this year, and of course we have to watch a Sunday night game this week that is the Bills versus the Giants, which... You might have to pay me to watch that one, but I don't know why they're on every primetime game this week or this year. Um, but my question is, how much can you really blame on Danny Jones? It's evident that the offensive line has struggled. I just looked at the stat, and it's, like, shocking to see. It doesn't seem real. The Giants' offensive line allowed 36 pressures in one week versus Seahawks. We all knew he was sacked 11 times, but 36 pressures in a week is ridiculous. I mean, the Jets didn't even throw the ball 36 times last week. So imagine 36 pressures in one game is unreal. Um, you look at Danny Jones' stats this year, he's already at more interceptions than he was at last year. He's at six interceptions, um, a QB rating of 39.2, a rating of 71.7, which are both career lows so far. But then you look at the other stat, which is he's been sacked 28 times so far this year. Um, the most he's been sacked is 45 in a season, and he's already over halfway to that, and we're not even near halfway to the season. His sack percentage, which shout out to Pro Football Reference, I didn't know this was a stat, on 15.6% of the times that he drops back to throw the ball, he gets sacked, which is absolutely ridiculous. So it's clear that there is a problem with the offensive line here. You can't put the whole blame on Danny Jones. And then additionally, he's been without his best target for the past three games. Um, so the, the question that I hear a lot of Giants fans saying, because half my friends are Giants fans, is what do they do with Danny Jones now? You just paid him four years, $160 million. Was his last year a fluke? Was it a fairytale run? So I do think in, to extent it was a fairytale run. You got a new uh, mastermind head coach. 
the team was playing with a lot of freedom, a lot of joy. There's no weight on their shoulders. They're just playing football, and they're just playing. They had a good offense. It was smooth, and no one really knew how to stop it. So, do they move on from Danny Jones? I personally believe no. I think he has shown he's capable. I think he's a very accurate quarterback. I mean, he's throwing 68.9 percent of his 68.9 percent of his passes are completions. It's his highest completion percentage of his career. He is an accurate quarterback to an extent. I know a lot of the throws aren't too far downfield, um, which also goes to show with another stat. Uh, his yards per attempt is 5.9, which is the lowest of his career. So you would expect a somewhat higher completion percentage. But he is an accurate quarterback, and I think he's such an underrated runner. He's great at setting plays with his legs. I just think he needs protection, and I think that has to be their number one priority. And next to that, that could be their 1A priority. Their 1B priority has to be getting him a solidified receiver one for next year. Because you do still look at their receiver room, and it is like a bunch of Madden-generated players, you'd, you'd say. Yeah. With all due respect to them, I mean, I know you have Hodgins, I know you have Paris Campbell, um, Sterling uh, Shepard when he yeah. randomly gets in, but it's not a great receiver room. There is no receiver one from that uh, receiver one from that room. So I think they need to prioritize working out this offensive line. Um, Evan Neal, for, I. I don't know how we haven't talked about this. The comments he made about Ooh. his fans being uh, burger flippers or hot dog cookers, whatever he said. And then just to follow it up with his performance at the Dolphins where he looked terrible. Yeah. Um, he should be flipping burgers. Yeah, he should be flipping burgers. I saw uh, a guy on the Yes Network uh, was not too happy with that. Um, I wish we could like pull up a video clip of it or something. Yeah, that's, but, that'll be next level for our podcast. Yeah, Coming that, soon. Yeah, next year we'll have that. Uh, I mean, he, he let it all out on him. But, yeah, their priority right now, number one, has to be fixing its offensive line. If you look at the PFF grades from this week, it is, like, absurd. Three of their uh, linemen were 65, 64, and 63 out of the 65 interior offensive linemen to play in the NFL that week. They had the bottom three interior offensive linemen in the NFL that week. And then their tackles, I think their best tackle was 55 out of the 70 tackles that played. It's just, like... Just beyond poor performance from the offensive line. And like I said, you got to get a receiver one. Um, Saquon and Waller can only do so much. There are also two guys that are constantly getting injured, sadly. Um, so yeah, you need a receiver one that can make plays, can be relied on. When Saquon's there, he's great. When Waller's there, he started off a little slow, but I mean, he's still Darren Waller. He's a matchup nightmare at tight end. But yeah, you need a receiver one. You need to fix this offensive line. I think it's going to be very hard to move off of a four-year, $160 million contract from Danny Jones. So I don't think that's the answer. Unless you were to somehow maybe fall to the number one pick and get a shot at Caleb Williams, and sure. But I think you have to stay with Danny Jones. What do you think? I think that this is not... I mean, Daniel Jones is not a playoff or Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I'm just being honest there. Just being completely honest with you. I think he's a playoff um, caliber quarterback. I think he can get you sure. a playoff win. He showed he can. I don't think he's a Super Bowl quarterback. I love Daniel Jones. I don't think he's a Super, cool, Super yes, Bowl quarterback. Yes, he's not a Super Bowl quarterback. So if the Giants are accept, accepting a ceiling, and I mean ceiling of – basically I think last year is their ceiling for the indefinite future. Right? They had as good a season they could have. Everything went right for the most part. Um, 
And then they lost, they got blown out in the divisional round, which is a good season. I mean, as a Jeff yeah. fan, I would dream for that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think that is their ceiling. And as you mentioned throughout that great segment you just had, it's not all on Daniel Jones, but I think there is definitely a ceiling for Daniel Jones. Yeah. And we know that to win a Super Bowl in this league now, you got to have a great quarterback or an amazing supporting cast and a really good quarterback like the Rams did a few years ago. Um, and the Giants have a mediocre quarterback and a horrible supporting cast. So you can't expect much out of that. So I think it's really tough time to be a Giants fan, and it's absolutely going to be magnified on Sunday night in Buffalo. Yeah, that's going to be disastrous. Um, so yeah, I mean, tough time to be a Giants fan. I think we end with a storyline that we can both talk about here that on a positive note is that this could be the best San Francisco 49ers team in recent memory. Uh, probably not better than you know Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, but maybe it is. Yeah. This could be the best San Francisco 49ers team of all time that we're looking at right here. They're averaging 33.4 points a game, only giving up 13.6. Average margin of victory of 19.8. Check the math right there. Um, So absolutely blowing teams out. I think I remember having a rant about your martini hierarchy a few weeks back. You can check the tape of uh, you had the Cowboys in over the Eagles. uh, And I said, that's ridiculous. And the Niners helped prove my point on Sunday night when they won 42-10 to 10 against the Cowboys. But I think we're not going to dwell on the Cowboys' struggles right now. I feel like we do that enough. More just look at the, Cow- the, the Niners. I mean, people are calling Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, an elite co- NFL quarterback. And I don't think he's an elite NFL quarterback, but he's playing confident. He's playing smart. He has zero interceptions, league-leading passer rating of 123.1. And yeah, while his team's amazing, he's being called a potential MVP candidate right now. Um, in terms of what that spells out, most valuable player, I don't think that's true, but he's the best. He's the starting quarterback on the league's best team, which will always have you in contention. Um, it's Christian McCaffrey. We're just praying that he stays healthy because he's currently the league leader in rushing touchdowns and yards, having his one of his best seasons to date. Yuke uh, has been outstanding. He's really a wide receiver one anywhere. George Kittle, three touchdowns in, in prime time. The defense outstanding. And they're still not even using the full potential of Debo right now. So I don't think anybody could stop the 49ers offense or defense at the moment. Um, they're playing a banged-up Browns team Sunday without Deshaun Watson, so they should roll to a 6-0 and start. I mean, do you think anybody else can be considered a team to beat right now than the Niners? No. Uh, I mean, the 49ers are the best team in football. Um their defense is ridiculous. They have unreal linebacker play. A gr- uh, they don't have a great secondary, but they have a good enough secondary, and their defensive line is just monstrous. Um, yeah. And you look at their offense, we've always talked about their weapons, but I really want to see the 49ers on primetime more because Brock Purdy really showed in that Cowboys game that he is a more than capable quarterback. He's not just a quarterback that's throwing to open receivers. I mean, he made some pretty big-time throws yeah. in that game. I mean, great anticipation, hitting guys on 3rd and 15, uh, finding windows. I mean, he really showed a lot to me that game, and I was, I honestly was wowed because, I mean, being on the East Coast, we don't get to watch too many 49ers games. You always hear about the Brock Purdy stuff, then you go back and think, I mean, look, he has CMC, Ayuk, right. Debo, and Kittle. I mean, how hard could it be? But... He's playing really good football. He's really confident back there. And I think it goes to show a lot about who he is to have the last pick in the NFL not only step in last year in the regular season into an offense that had high expectations and just lead the offense, but now to do the same now, to have one career loss, to not lose a regular season game yet, and just be the 
absolute leader of this offense. And, I mean, you watch that game on Sunday. Their team just has so much joy around him. They love – he just seems like such a great locker room guy, such a well, well-liked well individual. I mean, the 49ers are, are the team to talk about this year. And I, I – it's early to say. I mean, injuries could happen. This, For all we know, this could be the biggest fluke in NFL history, but – I think there's a clear favorite for the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an exciting time in all sports right now. We've got a big NFL weekend coming up, some big college games, the championship series in the American and National League. So we'll have content coming at you fast next week and weeks following that. But we are so endlessly grateful and thankful for every one of our listeners and followers. We hope to have you listening again in future episodes. So thank you for tuning in to the QB Squared podcast, everybody. Thank you.